90%. The news from RTHK. I'm Jenny Lamb. And I'm Mike Rouse. And on today's programme, we're talking about ways to make the city more accessible for the visually impaired. Transport operators have long taken measures to try to help people with limited vision access their networks. The MTR Corporation, for example, provides tactile station layout maps. And our bus operator, KMB, has installed announcement devices at 15 bus stops in Chantry Po to help visually impaired commuters find their way to the bus queue. So how helpful are these measures? How accessible is Hong Kong to the visually impaired? And what more can be done to make things better? After 9.45, we'll look at a possible ban on flavoured cigarettes to help cut smoking rates among women. We'd love to hear what you think. So do call us anytime on 233-88266 and join the conversation. You can also WhatsApp us on 6899-8518. Again, the WhatsApp number 6899-8518 or comment on our Facebook page. You can also email us at backchat at rthk.hk. And joining us on the line now, we have Kenny Can. He's Head of Corporate Communications and Public Affairs Department at Kowloon Motorbus. Good morning, Mr. Can. Good morning, Jenny and Mike. Good morning. So tell us about this new installation on the buses. Yeah, sure. Um, KMB is dedicated to fostering an inclusive community. Um, we know that um, our bus service is essential to many citizens with uh, special needs to travel around. And as you can imagine, um, visually impaired um, have difficulties in finding bus stops. So we ask uh, what we can do more. And KMB has uh, recently implemented um, 15 audio bus stops in Shamshui Po. At every uh, audio bus stop, our wireless radio frequency uh, identification system uh, was installed. As this is what uh, we call our FID. Uh, when the visually impaired uh, with the uh, sensor cards or identification cards approach the bus stop about three meters away, uh, the uh, RFID sensor device at the bus stop will be triggered, announcing uh, or reading out the bus route's number and the visually impaired uh, can know can they know uh, the, he's at the right place to wait for the bus okay Kenny, can can yeah. i ask what made you choose these 15 Oh, sure. Uh, because uh, we do this project uh, in collaboration with the Hong Kong Society for the Blind right and its headquarters located in Shamshui Po also many of their service centers and not only Hong Kong Society for the Blind, and also many other social welfare organizations uh, serving visually impaired, located in uh, Sam Shui Po. Right. Uh, so you... therefore, comparing to other districts, uh, more visually impaired. That's, uh, that was going to be my follow-up question. Sure. Can you extend this to, uh, beyond that 15? What, what would be the next phase? Okay, and so because um, this is just a, a trial uh, in this stage, right. and we will uh, review and evaluate the effectiveness and, uh, of the audio bus stops, uh, maybe uh, six months after the launch. Okay, D does a visually impaired person have to do something, put, download something onto their phone or carry a special card? What, what, what is, what's the way forward? Yeah, what they have to do is just to carry the uh, identification card or the sensor cards. Um, the sensor cards uh, is distributed uh, by the Hong Kong Society for the Blind. Can, can it be on a phone? 
Yes. So they have to remember to bring a card, yeah? Yes, they have to remember to bring the card uh, only. And uh, when the, uh, the society for the blind uh, will distribute the card to their members and uh, give them some training on, or teach them how to use the card. Right. Can I ask you, okay, so so a visually impaired person at the bus stop, now, now I know there are six different routes at this bus stop. How do you know when my bus is actually coming? Oh, this they have to uh, because uh, they have uh, uh, they will uh, carry a, a, a paper uh, showing the bus route, so our bus captain can uh, read, uh, can see the bus route, so they will stop. No, but but what I mean is the 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 visually impaired person now knows I'm at the correct bus stop, and then two buses show up. So how do I know which one is mine? Okay. Uh, so they they have to uh, maybe they can ask uh, other people to help them uh, at this stage because uh, this uh, uh, this uh, campaign this project is just is to help them to locate the correct bus stop. All right. So the assumption then is, uh, if there are people waiting for two different buses, and they know that one of them's theirs, they'll be able to ask the other passengers, "Is this the fifteen or the eleven or, or something?" Yeah. Uh, it's also, they, they, because they know how to, uh, they, they can carry a paper uh, showing the bus route numbers so the uh, bus captain can see uh, the bus route numbers so they can do a stop for them. Do bus, do bus captains do that? What, what's, what's the role of the bus captain in helping visually impaired people at a bus stop? Okay, uh, when the uh, uh, visually impaired uh, get on the bus, the bus uh, captain will uh, take uh, extra care uh, of them and they will uh, watch their uh, action and they will wait for them to uh, stand uh, firm or sit, uh, sit down to, uh, before they uh, just start to uh, move the bus. I must say I've noticed um, with buses in the last few years that the bus captains are more attentive to the elderly and I guess visually impaired people as well, those with some kind of handicap. I'm not sure if it's politically correct to use that word anymore, but uh, those who, who really probably need to sit down before the bus uh, gets into gear and moves off. Buses have been more attentive. Bus captains have been more attentive, giving more time for people to sit down properly. Yes, yes, we have uh, uh, reminded our uh, bus captain uh, to take uh, extra care of the elderly and also other people uh, with special needs because uh, we uh, really uh, want to uh, fostering an uh, inclusive community. So uh, we, we have uh, training and we have uh, reminded them to, to do uh, this uh, in uh, the before uh, time. Um, we notice that you know more many buses nowadays, the the newer ones, have wheelchair access. Now you have something to help the visually impaired. Does KMB have other plans to help people with other forms of disabilities? Yes, uh, KMB has donated uh, our caring bus stop to the Hong Kong Society for the Blind, uh, the Kowloon Home for the Aged Blind earlier. Uh, with a mock-up uh, environment of uh, waiting for and taking buses uh, in uh, in set at the centre, uh, we uh, are aim aim to uh, provide a more effective effective assessment and treatment to the visually impaired. And also, um, the this bus stop hole is tailor-made uh, with information sheet uh, for the uh, visually impaired elderly. Also, um, with the help of the voiceover function, the visually impaired uh, can use the KMB mobile app uh, 1933 uh, easily to check the bus route information and the estimated bus arrival time. Okay. 
Um, and would you generally ask or urge gen the general public to help someone who's visually impaired uh, get on the right bus? Uh, yes, sure. Uh, actually, with the uh, implementation of the 15 uh, bus stop uh, audio bus stops, uh, we have uh, heard the feedback from the visually impaired. Um, they told that um, uh, before they relied on their memory of or asked people to find the bus stop. But uh, with the audio bus stops, they feel more uh, confident and secured uh, where to find the right uh, bus stop. Do the buses themselves have, have uh, the vehicle, has it been upgraded to help visually impaired? For example, does it announce where the bus is going to stop? But, you know, Yes, like we, have, we have the uh, announcement system in the uh, bus compartment. Uh, they will uh, read out the uh, bus stop name before uh, arriving the bus stop. And this is so, for all of your buses? Yes, sure. Okay. What, what additional training are you giving your bus captains to, to help um, visually impaired people? Oh, actually, uh, not uh, not only the visually uh, impaired, uh, also the elderly and people with other special needs. Uh, we train them to. They have to play extra care, uh, extra care uh, when they get on the bus, and wait for them to uh, to in a safe uh, safe uh, to uh, sit down or uh, standing firm before they move the bus. Does it take longer then for the for the bus captain to complete the route? Um, uh, maybe a little time more, but uh, not. But I think uh, uh, um, other passengers will understand that. Right, but because we, we have heard stories in the past about uh, the treatment of bus captains when they don't complete a route within a certain time, and then they, you know, they have to sort of hurry up for the next route to 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 make up for lost time. Is that a fact or? No, if they if they are, um, have to take extra care on uh, the, the these people, uh, they, they 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 don't have to uh, arrive. Uh, they 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 need to do that, so they don't uh, need uh, do not need to uh, worry about the arrival time if they really need to take the uh, safety of the passenger first. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. That's Kenny Can, head of corporate communications at KMB. In our studio today, we have. Two very special guests. We have David Chung. He's the CEO of Hong Kong Seeing Eye Dog Services. Good morning, Mr. Chung. Hi, hello. And with him is Doll, the Labrador. Now, Doll is black. Um, she is from Japan. Um, I don't think Doll is going to say much, but also with us this morning on the line is Billy Wong, president of the Hong Kong Blind Union. So let's go to you first, David Chung. Do you think these um, new installations at the bus stop help? Uh, I think certainly it helps. Um, having said that, I think um, from our organization, um, from our operation, um, we do rely very much on the training between our trainer and the user. Um, you know, our user, uh, the visually impaired person, when um, we finally accept them to uh, have our dog, we will undergo a one-month intensive training between the trainer, the dog, and the user. Uh, for instance, um, we will get to know that uh, the officially impaired person, uh, what are their routines, let's say, uh, for, uh, from their home to the bus station or to the transportation uh, to their office. Uh, we need to know the route. Uh, we need to uh, practice. We need to um, show that uh, apart from the skills to the user, we also need to 
uh, come with them to let them rehearse what the routine is like. So um, they will have to practice many, many times and not just one routine. Let's say um, they would have um, transport from home to work, from home to hospital, from home to meet their parents, their friends. So there are certain routes that we need to practice. Uh, these kind of practices, one-on-one, hand-on, I mean, we, we walk hand-in-hand hand with them. And then um, before they uh, graduate, uh, we call it graduation, um, they will have to go solo, which means that the user will go along the route with the dog only. And now trainer would be like um, walking, for instance, a um, few meters at the back of those um, you know, uh, partners, we call it. Um, we make sure that they are safe. We make sure they know the routing. We make sure that um, the visual impaired user um, they have a map in their mind already. Right. So um, practically, the, these are the most important things that we need to ensure are ready and in place. And what's uh, been the experience with the bus captains? Have they been generally uh, cooperative with a passenger getting on board with a dog? Yes, um, actually it's been very good. Um, I think um, KMB is actually one of the most earlier transportation company um, who are uh, you know, stepping up proactively to help the visually impaired. A um, long time ago, uh, we have, um, I think it's the first transportation company who have um, agreement with us um, to allow us to bring our, not just the guide dog, also the cadet dogs, um, to allow them to, um, you know, get to use the bus and also have um, notice or even train their uh, uh, drivers right. to know how would they, uh, how should they interact with a guide dog uh, no matter the trainer, no matter the user. And the other passengers have been generally receptive to this? Um, that's a very long journey of education, though. <laughs> uh, but I must say that um, I think um, we've been, um, we have established um, 12 years ago, I mean, over the period, we have seen um, obvious, uh, I, I even can say, a great improvement on general public's acceptance of a guide dog. So uh, I myself, uh, I've been... Um, you know, uh, taking care of a few cadet dogs uh, over the last year, and my own experience is none of the bus driver have given any trouble. Billy right. Wong, mm-hmm. uh, president mm-hmm. of the Hong Kong Blind Union. So yeah. now KMB is going to have mm-hmm. these installation on the bus stops. Um, is that helpful? What more can be done? Um, we are, uh, as a blind community, uh, I think we would be more than happy to uh, have this a uh, pilot project to help helping us to find uh, accurate uh, bus stops. Uh, we hope that uh, when the technique and the technology is uh, more um, practical, uh, it can be extended to all the uh, bus stops uh, in Hong Kong. That, uh, in fact, um, it is uh, not uh, every time that we can uh, find some to help us to find the accurate uh, bus stop. Uh, for example, in the midnight or in early in the morning, when the uh, pedestrians is not so friendly uh, uh, on the road or uh, in a remote uh, bus stop, uh, and this technology would help us to find the right uh, bus stop. We think that uh, it is a good thing. However, um, we would like the, the bus company to do more uh, because um, when we find the uh, accurate bus stop, and then um, when a bus is coming, um, so uh, currently we are not able to uh, recognize which bus is coming. Uh, so uh, if 
um, we can find the right bus stop, and then we can independently uh, in the, uh, recognize which bus is, is coming. Uh, so that would be more convenient for us. Do you know of such facilities anywhere, anywhere in the world where, where the bus actually, I mean, very simply, the bus captain can say which bus it is, right? But Yeah, uh, because you, you know when the, when the bus stop uh, uh, has more than one route, and then uh, when the bus is coming, so uh, it is not uh, really possible for a, for a blind person to uh, recognize uh, right. which route uh, is, the, uh, is the bus. So uh, we, uh, what we will have to do is to uh, wave to the, the, the captain and, and ask uh, which route is this uh, bus stop. Or um, they, uh, we, we can have some uh, signals. Uh, we, we, we may write the uh, bus route and a paper, or we have a, we have right. a signage uh, telling them which bus. bus so so um, the passenger is, would hold up a piece of paper saying 23 or something like that, and then the bus captain could say to the person standing at the stop, yeah, this yes. is the 23. Yes, uh, yes, but, but uh, in, in fact, it is not quite convenient. So if we can... Um, Use some technology that uh, telling us uh, what ca- which bus is, is coming, uh, so uh, it would be more convenient for the blind community. Right. All right, okay. Well, just uh, just remind that our listeners, we're talking about public transport for the visually impaired because KMB has oh. installed these um, announcement devices at 15 bus stops at Shamshui Po. But it, please call us uh, to join in the conversation. Our number again is two double three double eight two double six, and our WhatsApp oh. number is six eight double nine eight five one eight. Again, WhatsApp six eight double nine eight five one eight. Email us backchat at rthk. Dot HK. We have uh, somebody called uh, Colin, um, and he's he's written in to say, can't the bus just announce what it is and where it's going? Look at how well it's done in Japan. Uh, we know that Japan um, has some of the best facilities, actually, public transport-wise, uh, for, for people with disabilities. Uh, Billy Wong, how, yeah. do, do, you know, do you know about... Um, access to public transport in Japan and you know you you you, you talk about hopefully there will be some help uh, Japan has exactly that what what are some of the barriers and not just buses what are some of the barriers for visually impaired people in public transport in general or around the oh, city in general okay so um for the for the public transport um we think that um the uh public transport of Hong Kong is uh in fact it is uh quite um, not, not really bad uh, compared with uh, uh, many places all over the world. Uh, actually, it's not perfect, but um, it's still room for improvement. Um, however, it is not uh, too bad uh, in, in Hong Kong. And in fact, um, the public transport operators, the, trans, uh, the transport department, and the disabled community would have frequent uh, meetings, um, frequent communications, um, so that um, we can reflect our opinions, our views, our suggestions to them. Um, we hope that uh, this uh, communication channel would be um, further utilized and the um, 
Public transport operators will listen more to our suggestions um, to refine the, the barrier-free facilities of the um, right. uh, of the of the transport out of, of the transportation. What and do you think of that uh, suggestion that the, when the bus pulls into the stop, there'd be some sort of announcement? This is the yeah. number twenty-three going to North Point Ferry Pier. Should yeah. something should that be for every bus and every every stop? Uh, in, in fact, um, the the uh, what we are uh, looking for for the bus company is um, when a bus is coming, and then uh, they would tell the the blind community, the passengers, they may uh, which using a device or just as a loudspeaker telling us, oh, this is number twenty feet to to North uh, to North Point. And this is in, and this is um, um, uh, enough for us to. What we want is to uh, recognize which bus uh, is coming. It's is, okay. Is it easier then? I think you referred to this earlier. If the device held by the passenger mm -hmm. says this is a number twenty-three or this is a number forty, so that mm -hmm. it's individual to that person rather than to tell a thousand people who, who know what it is because they can see for themselves. Is it better yeah. that way round if the device that the visually impaired person is holding alerts them? Because I'm, I'm thinking also of a situation where two or three different routes may also be useful to the passenger. Yeah. Yeah, so um, if two or three routes are useful for the passenger. Uh, what we want uh, to know is uh, which bus is coming. So uh, what, uh, when we recognize which bus is coming, so we can, we can decide, oh, this is the right one, or this is the, uh, we, uh, or I have to wait for the next one. Right. David, can I ask you, because we've got, we got a beautiful Labrador here in the, in, the, in the studio with us, and she's been very, very well behaved up to now, i got to say. Um, and very friendly too. Um, how are the dogs doing on the on the buses? Well, thinking like, um, I think they're very uh, they're doing very good, very um, very calm, and causing no trouble at all. Um, um, normally, when we get on the, the bus, we will keep the dog uh, by the disabled person, um, you know, kind of an area yeah, or spot. Right, yeah. yeah. Usually, they will just lay down, and then um, we will just uh, press the we will hold on to the, to the leash, um, because the dogs they are breed. Um, um, there is uh, several generations of the dogs that are already uh, uh, guide dogs, so their their temperament are very calm, and they like people. And then uh, once they are on the red fast, they know that they are on either the training mode or on the working mode. They will naturally be even calmer. And so um, I haven't got any observation of any of our dogs causing any trouble in the past. And May I also uh, echo to the previous question on the, the Japan's uh, design? Um, I recently just went, uh, you know, in November I was in Japan um, joining a um, conference with our fellow uh, guide dog organizations. My observation is um, I think one particular uh, invention or arrangement is just one tiny spot. I think on the higher level, I think I noticed that Japanese people, they start to think a very holistic picture very, very detailed, everything. And um, that kind of attitude or um, effort, I, I'm getting to see that in Hong Kong too. Um, talking about ourselves, um, we've been joining, um, um, uh, there's one advisory committee at the uh, Hong Kong Housing Authority. I think it's a very good start because uh, every, every 
um, I think um, we have twice, uh, we have two meetings every year. The, the agenda of the meeting is to um, discuss the accessibility of disabled person, every kind of uh, disability, visually, um, you know, or mobility. Um, they have um, the designers of the um, housing authority and they have the public management. They also have the management of this person to talk about how might we improve the accessibility of disabled person um, from tiny little things like the ramp, like the escalator, elevator, um, toilet doors, everything, every design, even um, there's a buzzer um, at the flat of the public housing for the deaf. For instance, if someone just, you know, um, you know press the doorbell, but they can't hear, right, because they're, 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 uh, their hearing are not as, um, you know, and, uh, doesn't allow them to be able to hear it. So they install the light. Once you press it, this light is on. I think that kind of design is very, very considerate. And the way I see it is that um, housing authority is a good start. And I wish that um, maybe from a higher government organisation point of view, they would have right. an organisation to do that. OK, well, we're going to break for the news. Um, but first, let's have a look at the weather. It's mainly cloudy today, foggy in the morning and at night. There's sunny intervals during the day. The maximum temperature will be around 25 degrees, like to moderate southeasterly winds. The Look is for still humid and foggy weather in the next couple of days. It'll be rather warm during the day and temperatures will fall in the latter part of this week. The current temperature outside is 23 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity 88%. And here's Carol Musgrave with the news. An economist says a rebound in visitor arrivals will not have a huge impact on Hong Kong's economy. The government said yesterday that arrivals during the eight days of Lunar New Year were back to 2018 levels, with 85% of the 1.4 million visitors coming from the mainland. An aviation analyst says the debut of China's first homegrown passenger jet in Singapore this week will mark a major milestone for the Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China, or COMAC. Brendan Sobey of Sobey Aviation says the spotlight on COMAC is intense, given that the two dominant plane makers, Airbus and Boeing, are struggling to meet demand. And police in the US state of Minnesota say two officers and a paramedic have been killed in a shootout in the city of Burnsville. A third officer was wounded during during an exchange of fire with a man who'd barricaded himself inside a family home with seven children. I'll have more news at 10. With Family Protector, members can enjoy happy life. Likewise, with National Security Safeguarded, people live and work in contentment. Basic Law Article 23 legislation is our constitutional responsibility and better addresses national security risks, safeguards prosperity and stability consultation on the legislation is launched. Your views are welcome. For details, please visit the Security Bureau's website. Need help with something in your daily life? Care teams have been set up in all 18 districts in Hong Kong. Care teams consolidate community resources and forces, organize caring activities, assist in handling emergencies, and disseminate important information to the public. Consolidating resources, caring for the community. Visit the Home Affairs Department's website for further details. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Jenny Lam, and with me is Mike Rouse. And also in our studio is David Chang, CEO of Hong Kong Seeing Eye Dog Services. And our special guest here right on the floor is Doll, a four-year-old Labrador from Japan. Now, Mr. Chang, I understand. 
tanto is just at the training phase, correct? Correct. Um, now, um, my dog, Hamilton, uh, can do sit, can do lie down, can do wait. Um, he, re he reacts very specifically to treat. What can dog do that my dumb dog can't do? <laughs> Well, I, I think, um, um, to name a few, let's say if I want her to go turn left or right, uh, she can. Um, if I want her to uh, walk slowly, um, she can. I, I will ask her to be steady. Um, um, even um, because she has undergo about uh, one third of the training right now, uh, if I ask her to find the sheet, she is able to do that. But uh, of course, she's still under the training. Um, if she come across a very uh, particular place that she's not familiar with, she might be a little bit too excited. Um, so might not be able to listen to my commands. She's too busy watching other dogs or other, you know, birds or other uh, distractions, so to speak. Well, when, when supposedly uh -huh. the uh, visually impaired person go into a situation where there's a wild animal uh -huh. uh, or, or even just another dog, uh -huh. we all know that dogs get very excited that way. Uh -huh. How do you? How does Dor react to that? Uh, right now, she's doing fine. Um, usually, um, there's a way that we uh, we, we call it uh, the DD dog distraction. Uh, we would, we have trained them to uh, avoid or disregard the distraction. Uh, for instance, if there is a walk, the dog, there is there a dog walking right in front of our dog. So every time when the two dogs meet at that particular point, we we'll have asked her name, Dor, and we should look up and we give them the treat. That is, um, you know, a psychological uh, training. So every, when, when he's used to it, we could do it again and again and again. So every time when, when Dor will come across a dog, she'll look at me and looking for a treat. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, so far we've been talking about buses. Yeah. How does Dor uh, do, and uh, her brothers and sisters, uh, on other forms of transport, the MTR? Uh -huh. uh, how about minibuses? Um, this is a very good question. Um, I think, first of all, um, MTR is doing very good as well. Um, um, they uh, issue a um, ID card for us to identify which dog can, uh, you know, uh, transport uh, via the MTR. And the minibus sometimes is a yes, sometimes a no. We have to contact the individual minibus line and talk to their bosses, talk to their you know, management person to. Uh, kind of convince them to let us uh, allow the cadet dog to travel on the minibus. But the guide dog is fine because um, um, under the legislature, all guide dog has to right away like human beings. So that part is fine. Um, still, every now and then, um, uh, we encounter some um, not so cooperative um, occasion, but um, it's getting less and less now. So you think the acceptance of dogs on minibuses is... Yes. Increasing. Yes, so the yes, public are generally yes. more sympathetic. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. That's encouraging. Yeah, yeah. It Doll? is, it is, it is. Doll. Doll. Uh, it's still looking at me right oh, now. You know, she's <laughs> looking very intently at, at David. Yeah. Um, now, I would tell you that Doll is wearing a red T-shirt, which yeah. says Hong Kong oh. Seeing Eye Dog Services. Um, oh. That's because she's in training. Now, I, I noticed in the MTR, some of the guide dogs have a special... Yeah, uh, we call it harness. Uh, a special harness. Yes. Um Presumably, Dor is not at that stage yet. How long does it take for her to get there? Um, normally, uh, a dog, when it's entering into a cadet dog stage, um, we will undergo uh, usually about 100 walks of training. Each walk would take um, two hours. 
assuming the dog's progress is to a satisfactory, we skip on going to the next stage until it's graduated. Uh, having the harness is part of the training um, because the dog needs to get used to the harness on its body, first of all, and also it needs to uh, get used to the command of the, either the trainer and the user. So when it's graduated, the dog will have the harness. And with the harness, the dog is officially... This is t- terribly uh, intensive in terms of time and personal training. Yes, uh, indeed. Um, I'm just thinking, what is the demand for guide dogs and, and are you able to keep up? Well, um, first of all, according to international standard, about 1% of... Um, uh, if the... If the uh, number of guide dogs reach 1% of a visually impaired person in a particular place. We call it popular at that particular place. And for instance, in the UK, um, there are currently about 5,000 guide dogs in service. In Hong Kong, we only have about 70. And we have um, applicants um, been waiting for the dog for more than a year. And sure. we also have um, other applicants who have uh, special needs on um, guide dogs, for instance, their, their pace. Um, some users prefer a uh, faster dog. Some users cannot accept a faster dog because of the right. uh, uh, physical condition. Yeah. Um, now, you told me that uh, uh, these dogs, including Daw, have uh, come from several generations of guide uh-huh. dogs. Uh-huh. And then it takes all that training, presumably for an, a visually impaired person to own a dog like that. It's actually quite costly, isn't it? Um, no. Um, actually, we are a charity. Our service is free of charge. Um, to all applicants who we who we accepted, and also uh, we think they are capable of taking care of the dog. Um, so, um, for the users, usual course would be like maybe supplements, maybe um, annual vaccination. Right. Um, so again, we're talking about uh, making Hong Kong barrier free, and this started with a conversation with KMB that has installed these uh, uh, installation at, at their bus stops to help visually impaired people. Also with us on the line this morning is Billy Wong, president of the Hong Kong Blind Union. Um, good, hi, Mr. Wong. So if we're talking a lot about uh, seeing eye dogs. What more and what more can be done for to to make Hong Kong more friendly for users? You know, help people who have these uh, dogs for the blind. Uh, I think um, the um, there should be a, a mindset, a barrier-free uh, mindset for the uh, policy makers, the transport operators, the designers, and the general public. Uh, it is because. Uh, when um, the uh, one of the any facilities, when and the the barrier-free concept is considered uh, in the design stage, uh, that uh, so uh, it would be more convenient for the installation of such uh, facilities. Uh, we always uh, face one challenge: is that um, once when the premises, the building is built up. Or the uh, the new facilities, the new functions of the mobile app um, is installed or is um, uh, put in practice, and then we think that oh, we 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 find some difficulties in using such uh, new facilities or new functions, and then we uh, reflect this to the uh, transport operators, to the uh, government departments, or the or other organizations, and they say they say that oh. Um, it is uh, quite a dif- uh, difficulty for them 
to um, install some um, variable functions or uh, uh, the details into the this new facilities or this new um, uh, applications, and then uh, we uh, we have to wait for some time, and then until uh, this variable uh, function is put oh. in practice. Mr. Wong, would it help? Do you think? If each member of the Legislative Council were given a sort of a day in the life of a blind person in Hong Kong, uh, mm. not all together, I mean one at a time, so that they experience the practicalities of what life is like for a visually impaired person. In fact, um, this, is, uh, this kind of public education um, is quite um, beneficial to the uh, to the general public, especially the policymakers, the legislators, or the the, the uh, top management of uh, the the public services, and and then they know uh, what kind of difficulties they will face, and then uh, when they um, formulate uh, new policies, when they formulate new uh, services, uh, new facilities, and new functions, and then uh, they can consider. Um, uh, putting some um, barrier-free concepts into these uh, new things, right. and it would be uh, quite good for, for the for the officially impaired. And these, in a way, these guide dogs, um, if, whether they're cadets under training or fully qualified, um, and they're visual uh, uniforms, they're good advertisements in a way for improving government uh, and public acceptance, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Because, in fact, public education is uh, very important. Uh, the awareness, the acceptance uh, of the general public uh, is uh, very important to um, uh, some new um, concepts, uh, new facilities, new services, um, uh, coping with the, the needs of the uh, visually engaged public. David Chen, what kind of uh, help or subsidies that uh, your organisations might need in order to bring in more dogs like Doll? Oh, certainly. I think finance itself has been always one, um, you know, uh, long-term needs that we want. Um, right now, we uh, our main uh, do uh, donation come from the community chess. Um, other than that, we have to raise um, maybe. 80% or even 90% of the fund from the general public. Um, so um, we wish that we have uh, more donors from the general public, maybe um, uh, corporate from corporations, maybe from um, other organizations um, to fund us in terms of um, training of the uh, dogs, in terms of training of our trainers. Well. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah. one problem is we need enough dogs, but we also need people like you to train the dogs. Exactly. Um, I, I, I must say that um, this, we didn't recognize that until recently because, this, because of globalization. Um, our, our, our cadet um, or their qualification internationally or globally recognized is called GDMI. Uh, recently, we have one of our best cadets been headhunted, so-called, um, to Ottawa. And um, we, we found things very hard because um, I, I honestly, I told them, I told, I told the, 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 the young cadet that I honestly, I cannot offer you a better offer because of our financial strength, because of the offers of the other organizations. We, we are seeing a lot of these um, you know, pain points 
recently. So we wish that um, apart from uh, more people um, uh, to let more people know that uh, what guide dog training is all about, how meaningful, how challenging, and how fun it is. We also need to improve the salary. Right. Is it a full-time career for a limited number of people? Yes, it's a full-time career. Um, usual path would have been um, they usually join us as volunteers, started as a volunteer, and then we engage them as part-time and then full-time. You, you, you mentioned earlier that Hong Kong has 70 guide dogs right now. Um, uh, around 70. Ideally, how many more would you like to see? Um, there is a um, stickers from um, the uh, census department uh, uh, saying that there are about 190 uh, visually impaired persons. Um, that was some um, kind of census uh, a few years ago. Um, it is 1%, which means that we need um, maybe about 2,000. So um, it's a long way. It's a long journey. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And there are other problems. I'm thinking Billy Wong, mm. um, a blind person comes out of the front door. Mm. They may know the route and they get to the bus stop um, and there's some kind of alert to this is a, a usable bus for them. But what about basic things like um, the, the quality of the uh, footpath, for example? Uh, mm. a, a sighted person can see, oh, the, the pavement here is not very smooth, and I, I step round it carefully. Mm -hmm. But, of course, a, a poorly sighted person can't see that problem. Yeah, well, mm. I think that's, that's what our fairy friends are good at. Um, when they are with their partners, the users, apart from the walking, uh, the usually familiar pathway, um, many users of our organization will reflect, oh, you know, Hong Kong, you know, even every spot you can encounter a construction site, right? Yes. Even if it's a very properly designed, but construction is everywhere. It's very often that the, the dogs have been helping the visually impaired person to get around it. Right. Yeah. Billy? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the basic uh, facilities like the guide path, the running strips, uh, in fact, the, the, the system uh, is not, it's not uh, too bad. However, the, the, um, the, in, in the daily uses, uh, the, the uh, quality or maybe there's some, um, there may be some defects, uh, there, there may be that the strips are too busy and the, uh, many people, they may, uh, Wait uh, for the others and standing uh, on on exactly on the guide path, uh, or maybe they, they put their luggages, uh, their their things uh, in the guide path so that uh, it, it it is blocked and it causes some obstacles for the uh, visually impaired. And one thing I would like to point out is that when the electric cars, electric vehicles, are more and more popular in Hong Kong. Um, it, it causes a safety problem because um, they are very quiet and and when the visually uh, impaired would like to cross the road without the traffic light, um, when a very quiet electrical um, vehicle is uh, approaching them, um, it, it would be a little bit difficult for them to recognize uh, a car is coming and then they can, uh, and it, it, can, it may be a challenge for the road safety of the uh, officially impaired. So we hope the government uh, would look into this matter and to formulate um, our policies to, to uh, 
encounter this problem. Okay, well, thank you very much, Billy Wong, President of the Hong Kong Blind Union, and also David Chung, who is in our studio, CEO of Hong Kong Seeing Eye Dog. And also thank you to you, Dolph the Labrador, uh, who is not saying much, but being very, very obedient. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And now we're coming up to 10 minutes to 10. We are going to be talking about um, suggestions to ban flavoured cigarettes. And on us, uh, with us on the line is Judith Mackay, Director of Asian consultancy on tobacco control. Good morning, Judith. Good morning. Uh, now, you, you're saying ban flavoured cigarettes because you're saying that uh, primarily uh, women tend to prefer flavoured cigarettes and that the rate among wim- women smokers has not dropped. That's part of the issue, but the second part of the issue is that the flavoured cigarettes have immense appeal to young people as well. It's not just women, it's, uh, it does include men, but it particularly focuses on young people too. So um, about 10% of the global cigarette markets are now menthol and there's many, many other flavours. And what happens is that the flavouring agents, which are additives, they establish and they sustain tobacco use, particularly amongst the young. So the time has come to Hong Kong, like in many other countries, to um, ask, should we be allowing these products on the market with their attractiveness? Um, And they blot out the awful, harsh taste of tobacco. So that's why they're so attractive to um, to smokers. Judith, good morning. Good morning. You and I have talked about this subject so many times over the years. (laughs) What is it, this determination of the tobacco companies to find new ways of getting this cancer-causing stuff into our lungs? Well, good morning. I think we have indeed talked over about 40 years on this particular problem. But the tobacco industry is very ingenious. It has money to be so and to um, do all the research to try and produce products that they claim are safer. And they originally claimed that filter cigarettes were safer, and we found they were not. They claimed that low-tar cigarettes were safer. We found they're not. And then more recently, they've claimed that the e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products are safer. And there's no indication yet that this is true. But basically, they're trying to both create and maintain their markets. That's the problem. And I guess it's their duty to their shareholders to do that, just as much as it is the duty of governments and the public health people to try and reduce any form of tobacco use. Right. I mean, some of those claims seem to me strange. That is to say, if you smoke these... Um, you'll you'll die within 10 years, but don't worry if you smoke these others, oh, you've probably got 12 years or 15 years. That doesn't seem, uh, if, you, if you tried that with another product, uh, you wouldn't get very far, would you, as a sales claim? <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. I often liken it to jumping off a 10-storey building or a 7-storey building, but what you say is comparable as well. And then there's no safe way of using tobacco. In fact, even smoking just one to two cigarettes a day has a measurable harm. And of course, it has a particular harm in terms of children. It has a particular harm in terms of pregnant women and so on. But uh, I mean, this is nothing new. I've been now working 
um, exactly 40 years in tobacco control in Hong Kong. And, you know, the saga continues. I thought I might be out of a job by now, but far from it with the ingenuity um, of the tobacco industry in terms of producing these new products. And secondly, their determination to interfere with government regulations and laws. And we saw that so clearly in Hong Kong when we banned last year, when we banned um, e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products. One veteran legislator in Hong Kong said to me that he had never seen such lobbying ever in his life over decades as a legislator, not just on tobacco, not even just on health, but on anything. They were determined to try and stop that going through. So the industry interferes with government attempts to try and reduce tobacco use. So it's a okay. dual problem. It's fighting it the tobacco... lobbies like hell. Lobbies yeah. like hell. <laughs> yeah, you, we, you know, we, we know that uh, both New Zealand and the UK are, are going to ban the sale of cigarettes to people... Uh, well, the, in the UK, people born on, uh, after 2009, which means, uh, you know, actually people under 14 years old. Four, uh, Hong Kong government has talked about that two years ago. Why isn't it going ahead? Well, what the government did was to put out a consultation to the public in Hong Kong, which ended in September 2023, and they're now considering it. But they asked... 10 or so different things that the public thought were um, useful things to be done in reducing it, ranging from tax to this, as you described, the prohibition of sale to a certain age group forever, to looking at smuggling of cigarettes, to the additives, to the packaging, to the sale at retail points, expanding some of the no smoking areas, looking at fixed penalty amounts, was this enough, and looking at cessation services. So they are at the moment mulling over all the responses and formulating a policy on many things. It's not just the additives. The additives is one right. of a package of many things. And where do you think they might reach a conclusion on all of these options? Well, we are under an obligation by WHO to reduce our 9.5% smoking to 7.8% by the end of next year. Now, if you reduce smoking by 1% a year in any country, in any community, you're doing pretty well. So, my goodness, we have our job um, sort of mapped out for us in the next or just under two years to try and get down to what WHO has required of us to reach by the end of next year. So I think this is why they're putting out a big smorgasbord of different kind of um, uh, things. Actually, Hong Kong has not done badly. We're one of the few countries in the world where our um, t uh, combustible tobacco smoking rates are under 10%. And secondly, we've banned the new products. And that's an interesting principle as well, because it shows you can bring the rates down right. without the use of new products. I must say, over the half century that I've been in Hong Kong, there's been a very, very substantial change uh, of uh, smoking and acceptability. I remember writing the story for a tabloid newspaper about 50 years ago uh, that the design of the MTR did not allow for any smoking anywhere on the system. And this was regarded as a shock, it was as, as a big story, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It was radical because it was an, it was interesting that because there were many other forms of transport that the government were trying to sort of ban it. Cinemas became fifty fifty, and you know it, it, there were different sort of um, progressive right. measures. And buses you could but smoke upstairs and not downstairs and things like that. Well, well, the MTR was it was a new form of transport. Yes, and therefore that was why the principle was established that there would be a gold standard from then on if there was any new form of transport introduced.
Uh, you said 7.8% smokers in Hong Kong. How does Hong Kong compare with other places? Oh, we've done extremely well. Actually, many countries are still battling. Like China is battling with male smoking rates, still hovering around 50%. Um, and many countries in Asia are way above us. We in Singapore are the lowest in the region in terms of bringing smoking rates down. And that's been through a consistent and persistent and certainly not easy at any stage of the game in terms of governments, the universities, the COSH, the civil society, all sort of forever hammering away at trying to, you and, know, introduce measures and to protect smokers. Na- if I may say so, naggers like you. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't accept <laughs> I don't accept that at all. I mean, if, if there was a um, sort of consumer product on the market that killed two-thirds of the people who use it. Most people would think that the government in particular has a responsibility to make life safer for people. And it's not the nanny state at all. It's a government duty to actually um, uh, provide a healthy environment in many ways. Yes, it's difficult to think of another product where sale is freely permitted, which causes such damage. Exactly. It's, uh, there are other products that are harmful, and they're increasingly recognising the harm of alcohol and the harm of foods and so on, but nothing, nothing on the market kills two-thirds of the people who use it, and therefore tobacco is in a rather uniquely harmful category. Where is Hong Kong in terms of the number of young people who take up smoking? Well, that is also still low, but it's still higher than really our goal. They, they have now introduced an end game in tobacco of an end game of 5%. And different countries, probably about 30 countries, have now subscribed to this. And our goal is not the 5%, but our goal is a 7.8 by the end of next year, but on it will go. And even though we're only a few percentage of smokers now, it still translates into tens of thousands of smokers, two-thirds of whom will die from this. We we know every year, you know, the government, well, I don't know about every year, but certainly many times they've increased tobacco tax. I, I actually don't know how many percent it is now, but, but what does that help? Or would you like oh, yes. to see more? If you have to choose one measure to reduce smoking, it isn't a health measure at all, it's a fiscal measure. And what happens when you increase the taxes is simply affordability, that young people and the poor and the old all benefit enormously from a tax increase because uh, they just can't afford to buy the cigarettes anymore. But there's good news in this, and the good news is that if people quit, um, really within a few years their risks of heart disease and stroke are decreased substantially, and even the risk of cancer goes down. So our body has the most amazing way of reversing the harm done by smoking if it's done in time. Of course, if you've already got cancer, then it's not going to help you that much. But, you know, if you quit at the age of 50, 60, 70, it's still immensely beneficial and worthwhile. I must say, for speaking personally, it's probably the most sensible health decision I've made in that half century was to give it up back in 1977. And there you go, yes. <laughs> right. Well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. That's Judy McC- Judith Mackay, Director of Asian Consultancy on Tobacco Control. And uh, thank you for listening in this morning. And thanks to Dor for being such a great guest in the studio.